Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Did we prepare you for this, Tim? <laughs> you did not. I don't think we did. I meant to tell you. It's not It's not too bad, except for Lou. Um, because <laughs> Why, thank you. You're, no, because as I as I said in last week's episode, I'm, I'm devoting it to horror throughout the month of October, Uh-oh. which Lou does not like horror, so he's, it's going to be, oh. it's going to be a tough month. Yes. Um, Three of us in that boat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? You don't either? I'm, I'm not a fan, no. All right, well, this will be fun. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello again, I'm Lou Katz, and we want to welcome you to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Without any delay, please welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, Jen Cheney. Bravo. Hello, everybody. And now, longtime entertainment critic and recent graduate of the Jeffrey Tubin School of Zoom Video Operations. Right. I hope that is not true. I couldn't resist. Let's bring on Arch Campbell. Can't you come up with something better than that? Surely there's more ancient jokes than that. But thank you, Lois. Right. And hello, everybody. And here we are. And it's always a great pleasure to kick things off by asking Jen Cheney what's new this week. So one of the new things is the movie On the Rocks, the Sofia Coppola film, which was released in, in some theaters earlier this That's month. That's Bill Murray with her. And Rashida Jones, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the premise is that Rashida Jones' character is concerned that her husband might be cheating on her. And so her dad, who's played by Bill Murray, decides that they should basically start stalking him to figure out what's really going on. Anyway, the movie's going to be available on Apple TV Plus this weekend. Um, so anybody can access it there. And, you know, I just, I love Coppola's attention to detail as a filmmaker. And it's just one of those movies that just kind of ambles along. It's pre-pandemic or non-pandemic New York, whatever you want to call it. It's just, you know, just, I enjoy just kind of going with its rhythms. So that's one thing that's coming out. Uh, I have not seen this yet, but Borat's subsequent movie film is coming out this week. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of people are excited about that. <laughs> As an old man, I would like to say that I can't wait to watch this. Yeah, you're excited? I think I'm his demographic. (laughs) Why do you say that? Well, uh, I like his humor. Now I was instructed to return to Yankee Land to carry out secret missions. I go to America! I like him a lot. So that's coming out. That'll be on streaming just whoever wants to you know pay for it you can find it on a number of different platforms is that on yeah. netflix did i hear too or not mm, i don't think so i think so you got amazon pay. only is it amazon only i think it's amazon only um okay. and i think it's streaming on amazon so i don't even know if it's i don't even know if you have to rent it i think it might just be on amazon but i could be wrong okay. well okay. let me jump in and say that is the voice of rocky hadati who i'm going to give a big introduction to in a minute but we're glad you're with us rocky and yeah, that's uh that's kind of what i thought that maybe i can catch it on amazon prime because i don't like to pay 30 bucks to watch a movie that's just so so and then a couple other things that are coming this weekend one is the queen's gambit which is a new netflix series starring anya taylor joy who played emma in the most recent adaptation Mm, of the yeah in austin novel um it's about a young woman following her from when she's a girl and when she's orphaned but who has this amazing head for chess but she also has um a lot of other addiction issues and things that she's dealing with um, but it, it takes place in, in primarily in like the 50s, early 60s. And 
really handsomely directed and and uh Anya Taylor Joy is is very good in it. Yeah, uh, she's so in that great movie Thoroughbreds, which I'm a big fan of, mm-hmm. which I think we, and and is kind of an underground, you know, something people missed, which is excellent and kind of mm-hmm. scary. I might mention that as a horror movie later. Oh yeah, put that okay. in your back pocket, Arch. and then on sunday night on hbo the undoing debuts which is a new limited series Mm -hmm. um from david e kelly uh stars nicole kidman and hugh grant um as a very wealthy manhattan couple an incident changes their entire lives i won't say too much Mm -hmm. about what that incident is but it's it's going to be your new like hbo obsession like at the end of every episode there's like some new thing revealed that you're like oh no what happens next (laughs) but you have to wait till the next week to find out because it's netflix and I thought all the performances in it were, were very good, especially, um, not that anyone doesn't know he's a good actor, but Donald Sutherland does some really revelatory mm. things in this, I thought. Well, uh, we've already heard from her, and I'm happy that we have, but I do want to tell everybody that this week's guest critic is one of our favorite people. She writes about film and television for numerous sites, including Pajaba, The AV Club, RogerEbert.com. And coming soon, she will join our friend Jen Cheney on Vulture. And so let us give a big welcome to Rocky Haddadi. So Rocky, what are you watching these days? Man, what am I watching these days? Well, I will be watching The Undoing. I'm very excited for that because I'm strangely a sucker for rich white people problems. And that's very much <laughs> what this show is going to be. So I'm I'm very excited for that. Um, I just finished watching The Boys on Amazon Prime. It was the second season of that show. It's sort of a subversive adaptation of a Garth Ennis comic book, which is about like what superheroes were evil and really just like an extension of you know like the corporate bureaucracy so I have really enjoyed that just because it sort of serves my little bit of cynical streak so I've liked that a lot and I'm very excited to check out On the Rocks I'm a big Sofia Coppola fan I Mm. love how she writes father-daughter relationships and Arch we just sort of talked about this when we talked about The Godfather and The Godfather Mm. 3 and I just I really love when she does that so I'm very interested in checking that out. Yeah Rocky and I should explain we were on a podcast about uh, The Godfather uh, because, of course, Rocky and her family watch The Godfather on a regular basis. Talk about the problems of white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I heard from Tim Gordon, who was on this podcast last week, that he sneaked a little of the soundtrack of The Godfather in, and as a result, um, iTunes or whoever deleted the podcast. I know! Our wow. beautiful podcast is lost yes. to the corporate overlords. But uh, so, but I sure enjoyed yeah. talking about it with you. <laughs> I had a great time. It's just now the conversation only lives in our memory, which is fine. But Hey, man. tell us about your assignment with Vulture because you're going to follow one of these series that we're interested in in the weeks yeah. to come. Yeah, I'm going to do recaps for The Undoing. So it's the reunion of David E. Kelly and Nicole Kidman because they previously worked together on Big Little Lies. I think I didn't make that up, did I? And no, um, yeah, and so I'm I'm very curious about how that goes because I feel like HBO right now is really dominating in terms of having a lot of new content in this mm-hmm. pandemic mm-hmm. time. And it just seems like they keep rolling out mini series after mini series. So I'm very interested in this. As Jen said, it seems very cliffhangery 
So I'll be doing weekly recaps over at Vulture and kind of trying to capture like what the big twists and turns are each week. And I know something that will always be lingering in the back of my mind is HBO sort of has a tendency to make things that should be one season into two seasons. <laughs> so I also sort of want to be yes. tracking that as the show progresses. It's like, are you leaving a door open for an unnecessary continuation of this story? But I'm very excited. I think we sort of need something not necessarily frothy, but just a little bit melodramatic and stylish to help get us through the next couple weeks. You know, that idea of a weekly recap and discussion of a, of a show that's streaming is kind of one of the new wrinkles uh, in our world. And, and I like it. I think it's great. Yeah, I like it as a way of like really furthering conversation. And sometimes the conversations are just like, can you believe this happened? But there's a nice collectivity to that that I enjoy. It feels like since we have so many more options, people are watching a lot of different things, but converging over a recap sort of furthers the conversation. I think it was Vulture. Jen, you didn't, maybe you wrote this and I'm just not giving you credit. I apologize. But I know there was some piece that was like, is Game of Thrones the last show that all of us are going to watch? together because it felt like the last cultural phenomenon but I think sort of the recap allows for that it allows people who watched it to come together and talk about it so hopefully that's what happens here right I mean recaps have always been designed even if a show doesn't have a mass audience it has enough of an audience of like diehards that they all want to read the recap the day after they watch so and those have always done well for Vulture for sure are we worried about the uh the disappearance of the of the mass event sort of am i mean i think it's i think this is probably actually a good segue into something we're going to be talking about later which is the fact that the great pumpkin is now moving to apple tv plus mm-hmm. sort of the idea of like things becoming more unique to streamers i personally don't love it just because you know i grew up without cable we only had broadcast tv but that's where i watched all these great movies like that's where i grew up on david lean and i caught up on mm-hmm. 90s thrillers and i watched mm-hmm. the godfather a million times you know so i do think sort of the increasing number of options actually sort of takes away from our shared experience. But I think that we've had a couple of big events this year. It felt like The Last Dance was a really big event in terms of everybody watching the Michael Jordan documentary. It was on ABC, it was on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Then it went to streaming on Netflix. Like I think with some planning, you can do a pretty good job of blanketing different parts of your audience. But I don't know, Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you could argue The Last Dance was kind of a mass experience. Tiger King, for better or worse, was kind of a mass experience, but it's different from an event television in that everybody's still watching these things on their own time. Whereas, you know, it felt like even though Game of Thrones was on HBO, like you weren't going to not watch it when it was on for the most part, unless you were totally behind, like everybody wanted to watch it as soon as it aired. And that's what I think we're, we're missing is that not only watching the same things, but watching them together simultaneously. And that's where something like, you know, Great Pumpkin and, and the other Charlie Brown holiday specials that have been on TV every year since 1966, for those not to be on broadcast television, like it's very, it's very sad to me. Um, that we won't, I and mean, not that you can watch those shows anytime you want. They've been on DVD, They're, they were on streaming even before this Apple TV thing, but the idea that there was an appointment time and that that was a time when a lot of parents would be reminded, oh, we should watch this, and, that, and, that, and that's when they would do it. That makes me a little bit sad. I do want to mention, uh, thanks to you, Jen, I watched The Trial of the Chicago 7, turned it on, 
and could not pull myself away from it. I thought it was one of the best things I've seen in months. It's uh, Aaron Sorkin's uh, drama about uh, a trial in the late 60s and early 70s as a result of the 1968 Democratic Convention riots. And the dialogue is sparkling and the acting is so good. And uh, Sasha Baron Cohen particularly is a standout as Abby Hoffman and who, you know, we're, we're used to laughing at him as Borat, but he's, he is a fine, fine actor. After I watched the show, I looked up the cast because, you know, they're so out of uh, their usual element. Jeremy Strong plays uh, Jerry Rubin, and uh, the combination of uh, Cohen and Strong uh, has this Marx Brothers vibe to it. Um, it was, and Frank Langella is the crazy, as the particularly grumpy judge, Nicholas Hoffman. And of course, I remember the trial in those days. I just, I was blown away by it. I assume that it was designed for theaters, Jim? It was going to be in theaters, yeah. Yeah. And it, it actually liked... was in a few before it was on Netflix. Mm. I would have liked to have seen it in a theater. It certainly is one of the best productions of the year. I also watched the Adam Sandler Hubie Halloween. Have either of you? I have not, but I'm very interested to see how this went. (laughs) Well, um, it's Waterboy set in Salem, Massachusetts, except Hubie Halloween is uh, the town of... a jokester or the one they play jokes on and he's also uh, a huge fan of Halloween and wants everyone to have a safe Halloween and it's got a little anti-bullying message to it and uh, other than that it's his standard issue um, the same thing he always does. Halloween's your partner! Is he a good guy? Hubie Dubois is the nicest guy in this town. Here is some happy Halloween word churches. You can pass it out to the kids. Thank you so much. But I found it watchable. I would not exactly, (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I don't think it'll be in the best movie of the year race. But, you know, if you have kids, you could turn them loose and let them watch it. It's 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 like the stuff Jerry Lewis did back in the 60s. I mean, <laughs> it's Adam Sandler. Do I assume neither of you will be watching Hubie Halloween? Mm. <laughs> it might happen. I'm, I'm doubtful, but it, you never know. It's Jen is, Jen is more open-minded than I am. I, All I of his friends showing up in a cameo so um, you know I thought Adam Sandler's Saturday Night Live uh, appearance was the best thing of last season more so than the one with Eddie Murphy but uh, the Eddie Murphy one got all the attention so uh, Louis what are what are you up to these days well we just wrapped up Emily in Paris thanks to your all <laughs> suggestion oh really <laughs> I, I have been told <laughs> some friends of ours aren't fans. No. Really? Why not? No. No. <laughs> I I need time. I need time to work through my trauma before I answer. So I need Jen really? to take the lead on this. <laughs> I mean, 
the thing is it's it's a very not to steal your word arch but watchable show like it's the kind of thing you 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 run through it very quickly and you know there are certain things about that that are kind of delightful and escapist but also some of the writing in it is not great and emily as a character has a lot of issues that don't really i don't understand how she has so many instagram followers it makes absolutely no sense she's horrendous on social media um <laughs> So there's little things like that that are asking you to suspend your disbelief perhaps a little bit too much. But then, you know, you have the hot chef guy in her building and, and then you're like, okay, I guess I'll overlook the fact that a lot of this makes no sense. Is that to you, Rocky, or are you still too tra traumatized? No, I can I can go. I mean, I, I guess I'm just very... <laughs> I guess I, 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 I don't even know. I don't even know how to start. I think Jen gave it a very effective overview where it's definitely watchable in that it's very much like any other Darren Star show. Like everyone is very immaculately dressed and everyone is attractive and the locations are beautiful and they did actually shoot in France and all that stuff. But I just found it so vacuous and exhausting. And that's not to say that every show needs to be, you know, like very emotionally fraught or like very complicated or anything like that but I just I didn't find Emily to even be like a believable person in any way like she doesn't really have any character traits that are discernible aside from these very terrible social media posts and she keeps getting herself oh. caught in love triangles that don't really go anywhere it was just not it was not for me and I do think it was one of those shows that felt like it needed to speak to the current moment because there is a Me Too storyline that I did not, like a Me Too Time's Up storyline that I thought was handled very badly in that Emily sort of becomes the voice of like American feminism in a very superficial way. So I almost wish that it had been a little bit frothier and it didn't try to be realistic at all because I think I might've enjoyed that more but sort of when it tried to be like a serious show about marketing or a serious show about like womanhood or whatever, it just didn't really click for me. I just kept watching Lily Collins, right, Emily, waiting for her to break out a drum set and start playing like her dad, Phil Collins. But it just it just didn't happen. So It didn't happen. <laughs> no, maybe. I mean, I, I will say there's a, another Darren Star show that is also frothy, but I think much smarter, and that's Younger. Um, and it deals with a lot of the same kind of issues of, of, you know, women in the workplace, except that its main character, who's played by Sutton Foster, is a, you know, a Gen Xer pretending to be a millennial so she can work in the book publishing industry. And so there's upfront, I forget who said this, but upfront, like, she is aware that she's doing something wrong um, and kind of aware of her flaws, whereas Emily never does, seems to be, to have that kind of self-awareness. I don't know if you agree with that, Rocky, but... Um, yeah. I think it's just one of those things exactly where she doesn't really have any self-awareness as a character and so it doesn't really feel like she is going through anything like I thought the show was very bad in terms of like communicating how much time has passed between each episode and how anything that happens sort of affects her. And just from the perspective of somebody who like sort of does this whole like writing, marketing sort of thing, and someone who loves Mad Men, I really didn't like that we never saw any of her ideas get follow through. Like she has these great pitches about like ads that her luxury companies should do and she, everyone loves her ideas or whatever. And then it never seems like we then get the, so how did you accomplish this and do this part of it? 
And so I think the show never really decided if it wanted to be about like her work yes. life or her Paris life. Well, there seems to be sort of a of a critical divide today. I'm talking about Adam Sandler and Lou is defending Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and Lou, you got any final words or shall we Shall we break for a for a plug for Hound Radio? You know, all this talk about Emily in Paris. I'm looking for a, a stale, even a stale a croissant at this point for something <laughs> for something to munch on during the break. But we are gonna take a quick break right now and let you know what Hound Radio has planned for Halloween. For Halloween, Hound Radio is channeling our inner wolf. I got a popcorn ball. I got a fetch ball. I got a pack of gum. I got a rock. And you'll be getting the sweetest treat of all. Your favorite hound Halloween hits all Halloween long. Happy Halloween! From the scariest station on the internet, Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. So now we're back and a few uh, topics to talk about. And we've already mentioned that The Great Pumpkin is moving to Apple TV. And uh, any further words on that? I mean, and I don't have Apple TV, so I guess there's no Great Pumpkin in my life. Well, they are going to, you can access it for free. I think it's from like October 30th through November 1st or 2nd, like right around Halloween. So even if you don't subscribe to it, they, you could get it and watch it for free. But it's not just that. It's going to be Charlie Brown Christmas. Like all the Charlie Brown specials mm. are going to mm. be on Apple and not on regular TV. My suggestion wow. would be to buy them on Blu-ray. We did that a couple years ago. You can just buy like a Peanuts special collection. And that has been helpful, especially now, as I feel like we've been getting more and more into just buying physical media to have it. So you don't have to be sort of affected by like, where is it streaming? Where is it showing? So that's my suggestion. Buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, I have it I Blu-ray. almost cut the cord. I almost cut the cord, but, I, but I'm a little bit slow on the uptake. I couldn't quite figure out how to do it, but I came close. You have cable, uh, Jim? Yeah. Yeah, 200 bucks a month. Yeah. Cable um, and all the other stuff. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, can't cut cable because, like, I still want to watch sports, but then I also have, like, you know, eight other streaming services. So, yeah, it adds up for sure. Well, and another one, uh, you know, Peacock got all of the uh, classic universal horror movies, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, The Wolfman, all those things that I grew up loving. And uh, I have to get Peacock to uh, watch them. And my experience with Peacock has been it's another terrible app that that uh, <laughs> that doesn't work. I know, Arch, don't get me started. Uh, what else are you thinking about now? Uh, something uh, awful to discuss. Uh, Jeff Bridges announced he has uh, lymphoma. That's, uh, that's terrible news. It sounded like in his announcement... He seemed to be positive that, um, in the sense that, he, you know, he said his prognosis was good. He's going to get treated. So hopefully he'll, he will be treated and then he'll recover and, and mm-hmm. be back in back in the business. But yeah, I was, I was very sad to read that. Uh, there are a lot of cancer survivors floating around, uh, more than you think, uh, yeah. uh, including me. So, uh, you know, he, uh, I'm sure will get good care, but, uh, 
Uh, he's in Hell or High Water, <laughs> which is one of my all-time favorites, and Rockies too. I love it so much. It's so good. And the whole thing is shades of gray. There's no black and white to it. It's uh, it's a kid uh, robbing banks to pay off the mortgage on his ex-wife's house because there's oil on it and uh, the bank is about to take it. And so he pays the bank back with the money they were about to steal from him. And Jeff Bridges is in the middle of it and people are killed. That uh, toward the end of Jeff Bridges' long run is uh, quite a tribute. I was just going to say, I think he was nominated for an Oscar for that, and I think about Uh that final scene all the time, which I'm sure you also love, Arch, where Jeff Bridges Mm -hmm. says, I'll be thinking about this for a long time. So good. Would anyone like to discuss Rhonda Fleming? (laughs) Does anybody even know who Rhonda Fleming is? I did not. I saw your note, and I was like, okay, I'll let him handle that. Yeah, I did not. Please. It's hard to believe she died at the age of 97 last week. And in the early 1950s, when Technicolor came out and all of these lavish productions starring three beautiful blondes uh, were ground out by Hollywood, she was one of those. And uh, it it strikes me that uh, she was huge in the 50s and remembered in the 60s and now uh, no one knows who she is. I do want to mention the movie Spellbound, which was kind of her ticket to Hollywood. She's in the beginning of Spellbound, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, uh, as a patient of Ingrid Bergman in this uh, institution. And of course, uh, my theory is that Spellbound uh, is what was behind uh, the Nurse Ratchet series, that it was kind of a riff on Spellbound. So I, I just want to mention uh, Spellbound and Rhonda Fleming and, um, and Nurse Ratchet again. So, okay, Jen, this is where you get to grill us like a hamburger steak with uh, flashbacks yes. and favorites. Yeah, we've had a theme all month that Arch has really been enjoying, and so has Lou. <laughs> um, horror movies from different decades, and we've reached the 2000s. So I'm wondering, what is your favorite horror movie from the 2000s? Okay, I'm going to throw two at you, which are okay. com- that I think are related. The first is Let the Right One In. That's about a great the one. family, where, the, where the, uh, the thing comes in, and... and uh, a double feature with that and It Follows, which was, a, I don't know if It Follows was before 2010 or not. It might have been. It was after, but that's okay. Uh, so, but, but they both have the same idea that something is passing around and, uh, you know, you're it until you're not it. So that's the best I can come up with. Lou, where where is Lou? Lou is in his uh, Halloween grave because he's passing on this bit right now (laughs) and have been for the last few weeks. I've never been a fan of horror films, of recent ones, of the slasher films. Rocky, what do you got? I have a specific person who I don't know if we immediately think about him as horror, but I definitely do. And that specific person is Guillermo del Toro. Oh, and I yeah. think he did Very some nice. I think he did some of his best work in that decade. He did The Devil's Backbone, 
which mm -hmm. is set during, if I remember correctly, I think it's also set during the Spanish Civil War, but it's set in an orphanage. Um, it centers around young boy ghost who is sort of haunting this space and it raises a lot of questions about just like what they even say this in the film so it's a direct quote but like what is a ghost like when we talk about that do we talk about like something that is actually like a spiritual entity or are we talking more abstractly about like your regrets and the things that you can't let go of so I love that movie I think it's really beautiful and it is spooky the ghost is a little scary and then sort of the sister film to that is Pan's Labyrinth which also mm -hmm. came out in that mm -hmm. decade and the two very much are speaking to each other about like childhood and growing up in a traumatic time and sort of like what was going on in the world that was leading to violence and inter-party politics and just like a lot of big question stuff that I think del Toro always fuses very well with horror and with fantasy and then he also did Blade 2 in that decade and I love Blade 2 it's really gross it makes the vampires really disgusting and I really think that he does very interesting things and he talks about this all the time that he loves monsters and that he you know considers them to be people considers them to be what brings out our empathy as people and so that's my trio of movies that I love from that time period they all come from Guillermo and you should watch them all excellent I think we're a couple of minutes from the end so Jen dazzle us <laughs> well I'm not going to be able to beat what Rocky said but um no, I do have a couple great, movies right. one is uh the others uh since we've been talking about Nicole Kidman uh it's a you know classic kind of gothic ghost story that has a great twist at the end and she's fabulous in it um that came out in 2002 I want to say if you've never seen it absolutely make sure you check that out and then a movie that I feel like people are looking at with new eyes lately um and that's Jennifer's Body with oh yeah Fox. yeah I remember yeah. I saw that was the first movie I saw when I went to the Toronto Film Festival that year and oh. I thought it was really smart and um uh you know it's written by Diablo Cody uh, but I feel like it just got dismissed at the time. And, um, and, and I do think it's worth looking at because it's not just a horror movie. Um, it, it's, it's a kind of a commentary on, on feminism and, and female wow. stuff. And it, it's really good. That's great. Next week is our Halloween special. And Rocky, thanks so much for being with us. And Jen, and we'll uh, look for both of your work on Vulture. And Lou, wrap us up. Well, Arch, word just came out that Spencer Davis, who, of course, was the originator of the Spencer Davis group, just died at the age of 81. And you may have played some of his music as a Texas disc jockey, right, back in the 60s? I had a couple hits there. He started the band... All my life against me. <laughs> <laughs> he started the band in 1963, along with two others, including uh, lead singer Steve Winwood. So uh, R.I.P. Spencer Davis. And we wrap the show out with one of the hits, and we'll catch you next week.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.